Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, where we dive deep. We explore the nuance, the emotion, the tactics, the strategy of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water. I've got to tell you, if you haven't seen this week's episodes of Australian Survivor, pause right here. Heaps of spoilers coming up, so you can check out episode 13 and 14 that we'll be talking about it on. 10 play on demand we're going to get into our panel who join us every week on australian survivor talking tribal australia's premier australian survivor chat show in fact it's probably the only one it's more like a zoom call but uh, we're calling it a show because we're all together joining us podcast extraordinaire survivor expert shannon gus king george himself from last year's season a man who has a brain as fast as his mouth and of course our reigning not waning at all. She's raining. She's our reigning soul survivor. Haley, guys, welcome again to the show. Haley, let's start with you. We've gotten to merge. What were your takeaways from that moment? And, and can you talk about when you got to merge and how emotional it was watching that? Merge is terrifying. You are coming together. There are 13 people now. You've never played with 13 people because there was only 12 at the start on your tribe. And now you're trying to test out all those relationships that you've built. My experience was that um, it was a difficult space because I was hoping I had numbers from established relationships and I didn't. And that's what happens for some people. So you see here in this merge, we've got a majority that's formed of a really strong group of couples. And then there's some other people who are a lot of singles and, you know, the twins that are not in that majority. So uh, it's interesting to see what their strategy is at this point. Is it that they form this other majority and try to push against it? Or do they hope that they're just okay as kind of singles that are number six, seven, eight, nine in that bigger majority and just kind of wait it out? And I think we see a bit of that happening here. I think from my perspective, the merge is the most exciting part of the game and it tests the most important thing in the game of Survivor. Are you in control of the game or not? I think what we saw from this merge episode was that the boys club who are essentially protecting each other's status in the game are truly in control. We had that fascinating blood versus water husband and wife dynamic with Mark and Sam. And I think what these players need to start focusing on, particularly at this stage of the game, is working out what the next steps are to get right to the very end and to make sure that you have a compelling case to earn that crown of sole survivor. Who is planning for the end game? Who is just going along for the ride and being driven? And who are the ones that are really in control? Yeah, it's such a different structure strategically to your season, George and Haley, which had, you know, these two big factions of brains and brawn in some capacity going against each other. Obviously, George, with you working both sides. But I think what we have here is a big homogenous group again, as led by the strong majority with basically people on the bottom, all these big threats like Khan that they're taking out, which has kind of been like the strategic structure throughout large parts of this entire game. So I know that it can be really frustrating to see that not toppled um, and people on the bottom who really should be used for numbers or used in plans against this big majority being taken out and they're just kind of losing that opportunity bit by bit as kind of fortified by a good split in that uh, second episode of the week and also just by kind of manipulating some of these players, someone like Juicy Dave who's just going along with the majority and is not one of the titular five guys. So, you know, that's a, that's a good job by the majority. Who do you think has thought about Merge best in the few days leading up to it or a week leading up to it? Who do you think has planned for Merge better than anyone else? 
I think we saw it. It was Mark and Sam. The problem that they both had is they had two different competing plans on what was best for both of their games. It's interesting to see the dynamic here. You do have Mark and Sam essentially in control of two different alliances and they can't essentially agree what the best direction is. And then you do have a lot of people, if we're going to call a spade a spade, you do have a lot of people just simply going along for the ride. You've got the good old survivor term of a goat. I think what you have are the boys protecting each other and just a bunch of sheep waiting to be killed off at the abattoir. Yeah, I think all of the guys really thought about the merge. I think ever since Sandra said, like, the weak will outnumber the strong, and it's so upsetting that her words and her legacy have been used in this way to keep, like, strong challenge people, which I think maybe will kill her. But I think they thought, okay, well, we'll have enough strong people that maybe we won't be outnumbered, and they've really protected each other in that, and you can see that it's considered, and you can see that maybe possible former gender dynamics of having more female winners, of how well the girls did in the last season. Like, I honestly think that that could impact them really wanting to go with the theme. So I do think all of the boys in that majority thought of it really well. But yeah, for Mark and Sam, they came in as two such power players to the point where Mark chose for them to go on different tribes so that they could come back with more connections to consolidate. And now they had like too much power and too many connections to the point where uh, those plans didn't really mesh. So I thought that was the most fascinating part of the week for me, just seeing that attempted compromise to see that real relationship dynamic beyond the game play out. Um, and it was completely incompatible with each other. So that was really interesting to see. Hayley, for you, obviously some people are thinking about what happens at Merge and trying to get the numbers beyond that. But there are some people who it feels like they just wanted to get to merge, like that is their end goal, and oh, we'll see what happens from there. That's a pretty dangerous way to play the game, isn't it? The further you get in the game, the larger your goalposts become. So you tell yourself, I just want to get to swap, and then you get there, then it's like, I want to get to merge. But if you're at merge, you start thinking, I want to win. Like, the next goalpost is winning. And so that really should be where people are aiming for. I think it's difficult because if you don't have the connections and that kind of social ability to flip votes and get everybody to follow you, then it's difficult at merge to convince people to do that especially for these first few votes because the lines are being drawn and people are kind of just terrified of getting voted off. So there's some people who want to take power and there's other people who kind of just want to sit there and don't want anyone to look at them. So they feel like they're not in a majority or they feel like they're on the bottom, but they realise as long as I'm not the bottom of the bottom, maybe I can just skate through a little bit further. And I think we might be seeing a little bit of that. I think as well, what's really difficult is like time slips away from you so fast. Like you get to merge, can't even like take a breath, enjoy the merge feast. And then there's that first vote. And it was a crucial vote. I mean, to lose a player like Khan, who wasn't in the majority, but is a power player who had an idol, like it's great that you flushed an idol, I guess, but that could actually be really, really powerful for the people on the bottom um, to win out in a vote against this majority on the split. And they didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And then it became harder and harder to topple that majority. And it will become harder and harder as more of those numbers a loss so I think for some of these players who maybe aren't as used to the game or like the twins who have been more passive and that's been their play style or Chrissy who hasn't seen as much of the show or you know KJ who's built a relationship game and not necessarily a big moves game there was like small options there but it would have been a massive move and it would have been immediate and like to really just like be like do this now night one of the merge I think that's really difficult but unfortunately I think time has escaped them and they'll have to wait for the majority to turn on each other I think my interpretation of it, James, is 
I think it is more deliberate and by design rather than by chance that you have a bunch of the bigger threats banding together to protect each other and a couple of people just going along for the ride. We heard Josh say at the Tribal Council where Mel was voted off that the big players should stick together. Now, I don't think Josh was just talking about big in terms of the amount of muscle mass on all of the blokes. I think he was talking about the threats that do get picked off, just like Sandra predicted, and that's why he referenced that. I know on Australian Survival, we talk a lot about goats that get taken along for the ride, and that is a very effective strategy of just getting to the end and not getting a crown. But I prefer to call a lot of the people on this cast the babs, the people that are as boring as batshit. Don't sugarcoat it there, George. Cut right to the chase. Now, I mean, some of them obviously are newer to the game. So the speed, like Shannon mentioned, of how things turn, it might be a bit overwhelming for them. What do you think some of their options are from here, those people who are sort of on the fringe and it looks like from the outside that they're just going to get picked off one by one? When you are on the bottom and you don't have the numbers, what are your options here? And who do you think might be able to turn things around? I think their chances of creating insurrection now are really, really tough, if not impossible, just be between themselves. Because coming into this week, you did have that strong six majority, not technically a majority uh, of 13. And there were definitely chances there for people on the bottom. There were split votes, things that could maybe happen, but they really protected well that majority in some of the splits and also just, yeah, in really pulling the wool over people's eyes on where they stood. Now that six actually is a majority of 11. So I think it will take the pairs turning on each other, which looks like pretty much about to crack. They've been talking about it and then just latching onto the successful pairs and then taking them out at a point. But the chance of the people on the bottom coming together, if there was ever a chance, which obviously it wasn't, it's now like not a chance at all. Yeah, I agree. That's really tough now. There were so many opportunities this week where something could have happened. The majority of the guys and Sam were very smart in the way that they were splitting their votes, which makes it a bit difficult for a group underneath to come and um, take over. But yeah, it's it's been, I found this week interesting because um, it felt like there were opportunities for were the people outside of that top six to take over, but it wasn't happening. I wasn't really sure what the motivation of someone like Juicy Dave was because it seems like he is one of the boys, but then when everybody talks about the top six, they talk about the three pairs. So I would like to think that Dave knows he's not in that top six, but maybe he does, and that's why he's not coming to the, the girls in the minority position and giving them more power with another vote. George, does this sort of speak to sometimes it takes just one person to be that touchstone, that sort of lighthouse for everyone else who are on the fringes to go, okay, we need to do something here. We need to flip this game. We need to create some waves. And there wasn't someone who sort of emerged out of that pack of outsiders to really do that and galvanise some sort of movement. I think sometimes you need to give people an incentive to move And that really does take internal leadership. That takes courage to make a brave decision where you're accepting a risk, you're accepting liability to your game that someone might chop your head off if it sticks up beneath the sand and nobody is willing to do that who's on the bottom. And that's coming from a player that was on the bottom from about day one to day 40, always threatened but not voted out because I wasn't on the rock bottom. There are little intricacies that you can do in the game of Survivor where you can plant a seed and watch it grow. I loved watching Fired Up Mel 
The only problem was Mel got fired up after Josh told her that the split vote was on her and her sister, Michelle. If Mel had that kind of endeavor and energy, the moment they merged, the moment they had their tribe merge feast, which looked delicious, perhaps she could have corralled the bottom together to break up the majority alliance. But you need to have that kind of proactive thrust in the game of Survivor. The moment you hear the words, drop your buffs, is when you should kick into gear, rather when you hear the words, you're going home later on tonight. But George, it's not even about from the merge. Like Mel has been the split vote target from the beginning of the swap. She was literally voted out and saved by fire even before they got to emerge. And then somehow voted for Khan in a vote that was split on her, like when she's the other part of that split. So I agree, like if you're galvanized by that before being literally told it's you tonight, when you've been voted for before, I do think that, you know, that obviously would have been better. But I think it's not just about having this like lightning rod person. I also think you have to think about like, what are the main relationships of the people on the bottom? Because you look at it and it seems like it just makes sense, right? So there's six people in majority and there's seven of the rest of you you seven vote against the six. Now you have a new majority, but Survivor's not like chess and you can't just do that. So if you look at the main relationships, like Khan's connected to Sam, who's in the majority. Uh, Chrissy's probably connected there. Dave obviously feels really good with the guys. So there isn't enough numbers there that are connected to each other to come against majority that they're more connected to. And that's to the credit of the majority. And especially the fact that no one is even in the firing line from that first vote. It's Shay versus Khan, two people on the bottom, as split on Mel. So there isn't even an option for the people on the bottom to come together. They're voting against each other. And that, again, is a credit to the majority. I actually don't agree with that, Shannon. There's always an option and there's always a way to skin a cat on Survivor. And if we're just going to pick out Juicy Dave, I don't know why we're picking on him because I don't think he did anything particularly bad in the past two episodes. But Juicy Dave is aware of the split vote plan on Khan and Mel. And if Juicy Dave decided to be a lightning rod at the merge, like other players have in the past, he could have just said to Khan at any stage over a block of multiple hours, Khan, you're going home tonight. I'm going to save you. Play your idol. Khan plays his idol. And then guess what? Juicy Dave has a rock solid ally in Khan for the remaining part of the game where he's got essentially a partner again in another single. That's the kind of enterprise that you can show at the merge stage of the game, where if you're number 11, 12, or 13 in the pecking order, you always have an option to do something. You just have to have what Haley always talks about, the social capital and the drive to just get it done sometimes. What we saw in the minority at this merge episode was nobody was willing to do it, or even worse, nobody had the capacity to do it. The real fascinating thing was the dynamic between Mark and Sam, where you have two players here who have two different visions in terms of what's best for both of them to get to the end and seeing that clash come to the fore. Speaking of Mark and Sam, that was probably the most fascinating part of this week, seeing their dynamic play out the way it did. What did you guys make of how they're both playing the game and the conflict they sort of came to once they realised that their vision for how to move ahead was different to each other's? I think that if this was not a blood versus water season, Sam would be making totally different decisions here. The reason she's being forced into these votes that she doesn't want to go with, that doesn't align with the way she wants to play the game by just voting alongside five strong guys, 
it's because it's a blood vest water and because her husband is there and she doesn't want to sabotage his game for her benefit. And that's a really complicated thing. I totally understand why Sam has made the moves that she has made. You know, Mark has said, I've got the stronger alliance. Like, obviously we have to vote with me, but it's so frustrating, especially for Sam, who's a very strong independent woman to just go along with someone else's plan. And we can see that in how frustrated she is. Yeah, I think, you know, like to be fair, Mark is playing very, very well. He has this large majority. They're nice and strong. Everyone sees Josh as the leader, which is very good for Mark. He's not being seen as the leader. He has good relationship with Chrissy and other people. Um, it's just so tough for Sam to, to have to not play the game she wants to play because she doesn't want to sabotage Mark's game. Yeah, if this wasn't Blood versus Water, I feel like Sam would be out a long time ago. Um, and ironically, she would be that lightning rod person who could kind of get everyone together and galvanize them against the guys. But I also think if it wasn't a Blood versus Water season and they were just regular allies, hopefully there'd be like some better alliance management because I was thinking this is technically like some terrible alliance management being completely dictated to. But at the end of the day, like she and Jesse are the relatives of these power players and Geordie and Mark. So it's a little bit different on how you handle allies. But I don't know, my heart really hurt for Sam on this. She's been such a power player of the pre-merge, probably the power player of the pre-merge. And she was so uncomfortable in her lack of agency because it's so foreign to her in this game. So I, I don't know that that hurt my heart. We'll talk it through, but I think maybe it, it could have gone a different way, but she was really, really backed into a corner here. And I think it was one of the most interesting manifestations of the blood versus water theme that I've ever seen. I, I think it's, it's interesting because I interpret it like this. From Sam's perspective, I think she took the safest route for both her game and Mark's game, which was to go with Mark's bigger majority rather than her alliance from the second water tribe, which was centered around Jesse, Khan, Chrissy, and KJ just basically floating around with one of the twins. So from Sam's perspective, I don't think it was a case of her being dictated to or being forced into action by her husband. I think she took the route with less risk. And at the end of the day, Mark and Sam, they have a shared bank account. If one of them win, they both win. We heard Mark say that in the very first week. So does it really matter from Sam's perspective that she lost a very close ally? No, because she still got her husband there. But is that what I would have done? Not necessarily. There, there was an opportunity for Sam to nuance the situation, but that would have involved her to lie to her husband. She could have told Khan to play his idol. She would have saved Khan and essentially repaid the favor that Khan provided at the last episode for her, but that could have risked Mark. And Sam's priority in this game is not Khan, it's Mark. And that's the complexity that we have in a blood versus water season. Can you guys talk about that moment where was revealed to Sam that her husband had an idol that she had no idea about. What did you make of that dynamic? Was that a cunning plan of Mark or he just wanted to sort of wait for the waters to settle a bit? How would you have played that, George? I think the optics of it were absolutely phenomenal from Mark. I mean, he has to show some kind of loyalty back to his alliance where he isn't the top dog. It's Josh. And then you've got Geordie, who's this little dog that runs around and barks all the time and tries to make himself known to make these subtle little moves. And he's the one that yaps at Sam and Sam doesn't know that Mark has the idol. So what's Geordie thinking internally? He's telling himself, Mark's loyal here to this group 
and he's got an equal sense of loyalty than he does to his wife, who he didn't tell her to challenge. He didn't whisper when, you know, you're standing around at camp. He just didn't tell her. How does Sam feel about it? That's a very different question. But was it the right thing to do from, from Mark in terms of the survivor player perspective? Absolutely. I don't think that I agree. I think that this was a jaw-dropping moment. My thought process was, has Mark been planning this all since 2017 to get together with Sam, marry her, have a child with her, come back on a blood versus water season and then blindside her? Like, how could a husband not tell his wife that he has an idol? I, I think it's like a pretty much a defenseless move. Uh, and I don't think that... I think that Geordie or anyone would just clearly expect him to tell Sam, who is his partner in life, who he does share a bank account with. I think that the progression of that, like what was kind of the jokey, oh, like he didn't choose to swap with me. And then to that very strange moment where she kind of realized that she hasn't had that information to the debate that she ends up losing in the vote. It was an interesting escalation of that for me. And I think could contribute to the lack of agency that she feels like when she's not even getting the information, he has the idol and he has the majority. And then he wins out on his vote. Like you can see how she feels that way. So even though they do share a bank account, I definitely think that her lack of agency matters. Her place in this game as a power player matters. And we can talk about it, but she says she doesn't want to be seen as riding his coattails and that is a really uncomfortable precedent that women are often seen as doing when they aren't, especially in a, in a romantic couple like this. So yeah, I, I uh, empathize with Sam and some of the difficulties this week. Yeah, I think, George, you make an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it too much that way. The idea that by Sam not knowing, it almost makes them seem weaker as a couple and them arguing, like maybe that's good that they don't seem like this super maybe strong a good couple. Tight couple, yeah. But like, I also struggled so much in that moment. Poor Sam. It's like finding out your partner is pregnant by your neighbor telling you. Like, I would be so furious to not know such a crucial bit of information. And yeah, maybe it's not great for Sam and Mark's gameplay to have to be arguing off in the corner instead of like having the strategic um, conversations they need to be having and wasting that energy. Haley, tell us about that moment from your perspective. We saw that Khan actually walks in on them when they're having a debate about Khan. Were you ever caught like that? Someone you were talking about was either hovering around or sprung you and you have to pretend you're talking about something else? Uh, yes, all the time. That was my favourite moment of this week. I thought it was so hilarious for Khan to come in and provide couples counselling when they're effectively talking about voting him out. I thought that was so fun to watch. But yes, you always get walked in on when you're talking about someone. So you have to have backups in your mind. And often it's um, if you're sitting at the shelter, you're like, oh yeah, and I like chocolate chip cookies and I like these kind of muffins and you just pretend you're talking about food. But Sam and Mark, that's a, that's a difficult one to pretend you were just talking about something innocuous because they were arguing about the vote. So yeah, that was a really uh, tricky spot to just pretend, oh yeah, we just don't know if it should be like Mel or uh, Michelle. Like what are you actually um, arguing about in that moment that Khan is going to buy? I think that they should have just changed it to another like relationship argument because they even in front of Khan they're like clearly talking about the vote it should be like ah, I'm living with you again and it makes me remember that you always leave your socks on the floor like stop leaving your socks on the floor like the fact that it kept being about the vote and like yeah Khan was counseling his own demise like let's really get to a resolution on this so that I can go home without knowing it um yeah it, it was painful to watch I just love the composure on Sam. You've got Khan that literally walks in and goes, mum and dad, what are you fighting about? And she just deflected it 
very easily. That was impressive from Sam. To keep your composure under stress is one of the key kind of things that makes you a very good survivor player, not to give away your hand. And um, I think she bluffed it very well on that occasion. What was your go-to, George, whenever you got caught talking about someone else and they were there? See, I was a bit more subtle about it. If I was Khan, I would have been lying down in the bush listening to the whole conversation and then running back and telling everyone. Yeah, but what about when you were on Survivor? <laughs> I also do that out in Bankstown City Plaza. So. <laughs> now let's talk eliminations. And this week, of course, we saw Khan go home with an idol in his pocket again this season. Haley, do you think he could have played this differently? Obviously, he had no idea what was going on. But when he had a look at the numbers, he might have had a sense that he wasn't in the majority there. Or do you think he trusted Sam's relationship more than he should have? Clearly, Khan really had a lot of trust in Sam and probably also a few other people there. And it was misplaced because um, he obviously went home with his idol. I think that at Merge, it is so scary. Nothing's been tested yet. You can see that there's a majority. You feel like maybe you're in it. You could be in a bit of a minority. He's clearly a threat. <laughs> um, and I think he didn't know how much of a threat he was. I think he had convinced himself that he was cooking all the time and not really seen as this big power player. But from what we can see, everyone's been threatened by the fact that not only does he have the idol, but every time he holds the idol and doesn't play it, you become more powerful because it's more impressive that you've done that. Yes, he Khan could have played it to be safe um, and just to be sure and to get it off his back. But um, it's, it's, you know, it's very tempting not to play your idol and just keep it for tomorrow just because it's one more step. As we can see, it would have been really good if Khan did play that idol. See, it's, it's hard to look at this now that it's happened and go coulda, woulda, shoulda. Of course, Khan shoulda played his idol because he's the one that ended up being voted off to be the mayor of Jury Villa. But in those circumstances, he tells himself that his closest ally in the game, the person essentially who's become his partner, has told him that everything's okay. Yes, Haley, he went back and he started cooking again and made those delicious looking crispy tacos. But... At the first merge vote of the game, you don't want to be cooking. If there's a future survivor player here, the moment the first immunity challenge is over and you've got four or five hours to go to tribal council, you should be talking nonstop to people and really working stuff out. And then if there is the slightest, even the most marginal risk of you going home and you've got a hidden immunity idol, you just have to play it because... The worst thing is you have egg on your face like Shay did a few weeks ago and everyone's going, why did Shay play the idol? Well, she thought there was a risk that she might go home. She didn't. She's still there. Khan, if he played it, he'd be there, but he's not. And he's cooking some storms up at the villa. I wonder also if Khan could have read a little bit into that argument that he saw Mark and Sam having, because if he can see the majority, then you can see that it's Mark and his boys and Sam is a part of that and she's having conflict. What is she having conflict over? They said it's the vote. Why would it be the vote? What would they want that Sam would be really upset about? Maybe it would be Khan going home. So I, I wish that was a bit of a red flag for Khan to play that idol. George, I know that you felt like there was a real opportunity there for Sam to maybe tell Khan that his number was up. Look, I can, I can understand why Sam didn't tell Khan. Sam's husband is Mark, not Khan. Yeah, they had a really close bond, but she's going to share half a million dollars if Mark wins. She gets a big fat donut if Khan wins. And Khan is a threat. Mark made a very logical case to Sam. It wasn't some dictator giving an instruction to his wife, telling her what to do. 
Khan has phenomenal core strength. He's absolutely dominated every single individual part of a challenge. I can remember him winning reward for his tribe, winning immunity for his tribe. Hell, he just won himself $60,000. You have to strike at the king when you get the opportunity to do so, or they'll go right to the very end. So Sam saw that and she allowed the plan to happen and she acquiesced to it and had an active role in it. That is a choice that Sam made, that her game and her husband's game is better off without Khan in the tribe than him being in it because she could have just leaked a bit of information to Khan, kept her husband out of it and blamed one of the boys. Khan would still be in it. He wouldn't have been upset at Mark, but then you've still got a, a player that's a, a likely winner. I completely disagree. I don't think that that is her choice, that that's a great choice for her. I mean, if you're given two terrible choices, is making one that I guess is slightly better for your game something that's like your active agency? I don't think so. I mean, she's like has to choose between taking out a primary ally for her, a connection she spent a lot of time building, a connection that Mark sent them to different tribes to build relationships, and one of her key relationships she now has to immediately send home, versus if she doesn't do that, blowing up Mark's whole game, really putting a target on herself, like everything he's worked for, completely exploding that. So I don't really feel like either of those things are good options for her. And I honestly didn't see how, just from a relationship standpoint, honestly beyond the game for Mark, like how Shay wasn't kind of like the perfect compromise because Sam is not asking for one of the boys or let's take out Josh, like that would be possibly a bridge too far. Although he is asking for one of her main allies. So Shay who knows she's on the bottom, who knows the guys have been coming for her anyway. I would think, isn't that like an ideal compromise? Khan's probably a bit more threatening, but Shay is threatening in her own right. And she's attached to neither of them so that they can keep the connections that they separated to build so strongly on either side. And she has to give that up. And I didn't see that as her agency. I saw her doing it for her husband, for her relationship. Obviously, that's what you would do. You would never make a different decision to that. But I just didn't understand how they couldn't come to a better conclusion together. Did you guys agree that Khan was a bigger threat than Shay? I mean, the, taking away Khan's idol for a second, who did you see as the bigger threat? I don't know if you can take away the idol. <laughs> like, the idol's pretty looming when it's out there. That's tough. I think, um, phew, depends who you are on who's a bigger threat. Shay, like, yeah, she can win a lot of immunities, but she doesn't seem to have the social ties that Khan has mm. that makes Khan more threatening. You know, Shay's... I think we see that Shay seems close with Jordan, yet Jordan is still not really... Well, she's not gone home, so she's not, she may be protecting her. But yeah, I can, I can see the argument for why Khan is threatening even without that idol based on his ability to form these really nice social bonds. I would say that Khan is more threatening. He, yeah, has that charisma, has a social relationship. Shay, it's really kind of like on that physical pathway. But I don't think the disparity was that great that they couldn't compromise on Shay. At the end of the day, you're at the final 13 and Khan has been a threat and a target pretty much since the pre-swap, you know, when some stuff got in the way, when they couldn't kind of flush the idol and try and take him out. Shay's been a target for a long time too, saving herself with challenges. Like they're both on the radar. I kind of feel like you'll have time for either at different points. Um, yeah, so I think that Khan is a bigger threat, but I think that Shay could have still been a very fine compromise. 
See, this is where people get bogged down when they play Survivor. All they look at is threats. Sometimes you've got to look at opportunities. And Khan was an opportunity for both Mark and Sam to help their game. He's someone that literally passed an immunity idol over to Sam. I can completely understand why Sam didn't want to let him go. Yes, Mark was looking at it from the threat perspective, and that's what he does. He's a war hero. He's a soldier. He eliminates targets and threats. And he did that very effectively with King Khan. But the right target there was Shay. Shay, someone that's not going to help Sam. Shay, someone that's not going to help Mark. And she's someone that's going to help herself by goading her way to the end of the game, winning the old immunity like we saw at the last immunity challenge. And you won't be able to get rid of her. You had the opportunity to strike at a player that is not going to provide an opportunity and is a threat. On my calculation, that is the bigger priority target. I do feel like there's lots of immunities to go and I don't think Shay can go on a winning streak where she wins all of them. I could actually see it. Like she's so strong. It would be the most impressive thing to ever happen, but it probably won't happen. But like if anyone can, I kind of feel like Shay could do it. Shay is brawn, beauty and brain. She's got it all. Look at her. She absolutely nailed that challenge in the physical heat that required a balancing component running back and forth to the water. And she absolutely blitzed it. Look at how the big strong boys went. Mark couldn't get off the bottom row. Geordie was nowhere. And was Josh even in that challenge? He he didn't know if he was Arthur or Martha at that immunity challenge and Shay blitzed it. So I think, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty sometimes. But Shay is an absolute beast and she's not going to help Mark or Sam. That's my reading of the play. I agree with Mark's decision making. I agree with the decision that Sam made to let Khan go. But Sam was actually right. She could have put her foot down, but she chose not to. Is that her only play at the moment, just to go on a challenge run? Because she doesn't seem to be working in the background to build any other strategy rather than I just have to win every challenge. I don't think it's her only strategy. I don't think it's about winning every challenge, but we've seen winners before win key challenges. Like you might just get to a point where the majority starts focusing on each other, then you're out of the limelight. So it can just be those couple of challenges, obviously saved herself at the last tribal council. It might just be one or two more, even if that, um, for her to get to a point where she's not the focus anymore. So yeah, I mean, she. I could see it happen. No, I can't see 10, 10 or so challenges. That would be, again, incredible, historic, probably impossible, but maybe not for Shay. But she just needs to get herself to that next point in the game. That's definitely for an upcoming edition of World of Survivor, I reckon, Shannon. Challenge streak records. Let's do that in the coming weeks. You also mentioned there that eventually, obviously, the majority alliance has to turn on each other. And we're seeing a few little threads of that starting to appear i mean josh suggested you know that maybe geordie or mark is a bigger threat in the game how do you imagine those big dogs are going to turn on each other where are the first sort of cracks gonna appear Haley? i think it was really interesting watching geordie trying to make mark look shifty by mm. saying to josh he's got an idol he hasn't told you and it backfired because Josh was like, I totally respect why Mark wouldn't tell me that, but why is Geordie trying to make a mess? So that was really interesting to see it happen that way. I think what's going to happen with this pair of um, three pairs, this six tight group is what we've heard them kind of talk about. Someone needs to strike first because whoever strikes first 
goes with the others and then it's like a four against the two. They need to make sure they've got the numbers and there's more people gone first. And, and Josh has said that. He's like, we need three more votes first before we can turn on each other, which is very smart to hold it. But I think that's what we might see. Who's it going to be? Will it be um, Mark and Sam team up with um, the cousins? Is that what we'll see? Or will it be um, the, the, the brothers that kind of create the divide? I think that's what how this will break apart. Yeah, my favorite thing about this dynamic is that it's like a circular scissors, paper, rock thing where Josh is fo- focused on Geordie, Geordie's focused on Mark, and Mark and Sam are focused on Josh. So it's just all following each other around the circle. Yeah, I think it's also about who strikes first, which pairs team up in that, and also how much external numbers you have. Like, where will these floaters that Josh is so accurately worried about, what side of this split are they going to go on? And that's why someone like Khan maybe could have been useful to Mark and Sam. I just hope Josh keeps his target where it needs to stay and it's on those people that he calls floaters and I call babs. You need to keep focused and just get them out of the game before they do what Sandra has forecasted and band together and then we get these people at the end and it's like, and you question, it's like what have they done to, to be there apart from ride coattails, dodge the target and the big hitters just take themselves out. So sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to actually stick together. And I'm hoping that Josh has the capacity to hold his alliance together for the sake of the game. It's impressive how we see that not only is Josh leading that majority alliance, but he has those connections with the other girls. Like he seems to be in the ear of KJ. He's talking to Shay. So, and his cousin has a really good relationship with Shay. So I feel like if they were to split apart, as Shannon said, where are the other numbers? Who else feels like they're with those couples? I think that Josh and Jordan seem to have a fair few numbers on both sides. Yeah, I think some things are working. Like Mel points to what a strategic threat Josh is. You can hear Josh in conversations talking about like what minority number could come off the wrong side of the split. And I'm like counting my fingers like, yeah, that's right. Like, you know, Josh is really thinking through all these permutations. So we don't see the way that necessarily the votes come together, but you kind of have to credit him with some of these really good splits. But then some of the stuff isn't working as he intends. Like he thinks like just putting out there Mel or Michelle is giving some sort of sense of the fact that he's not a leader, but people are onto it. People are using him as a shield. So it's really going to come down to that relationship game if they come for him, because I kind of feel like he's primed for the fall. But Geordie's got to be careful. He's clearly got ants in his pants and he's got to make sure he doesn't get bitten by him. Do you do some of the tagline writing for JLP, George? Is that where you're... Oh, I love JLP, but he doesn't need my help. He's a pro. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. We can uh, find a bit of work for you if required. What else struck you at Tribal? Obviously, you know, it's emerging as it's a boys club and there's everyone is trying to articulate, oh, there's no leaders here to make sure that they don't become targets themselves. What struck you during those tribals as a key moment? Well, I think the key moment for me was that the fact that Mel had all of this fire in her belly and she just waited too long to unleash it. If Mel had that kind of verve and endeavor at earliest stages of the game, she might've been able to cobble together an alliance that was functional. Instead, you saw her and her twin sister be the split votes. I felt for them. I mean, when the writing's on the wall and you know it, it's, it's tough. And she's on her way off to the jury villa. 
I agree that Mel um, getting all fiery was um, really enjoyable to watch. You, you, if you feel like you're going home, you want to know that you've done everything to stay. I was interested when she was her argument to try to corral her um, minority together was you got to make big moves. you got to make big moves at some point. And from a historical experience, I know that that's not a good way to try to get people on your side to be like, come and make this big move that I'm deciding is a big move. The start of Merge, people are still like, I don't want to be a target yet. I don't want to be the one making the big move. So I think maybe um, it was really tough for her to have a, a good argument to pull everyone together at that point in the bottom, especially Sam, who would go with Mark. Maybe something along the lines of like, this is the last point we have because then we lose a majority. If she's got Dave over with like KJ, Chrissy and her and her sister, maybe that might've been a different way to go about it. Um, This is the last moment you have until we've lost that numbers advantage against the top six. But yeah, there wasn't too, too much she could really do. I don't think at that point. I think what was really interesting to me is how transparent it was to vocalize this boys club, the fact that they don't want to turn on each other, the fact that this is kind of the power group that's really moving through the game. And I think what they did really well was consolidate this excellent split where the five women without Sam or without Juicy Dave, who seems to think he's kind of with the guys uh, in some capacity, they could not flip on the way that the split was done because it would be a 5-5 tie and they would lose on the revote. So as much as it was vocalized, if they split it poorly, maybe those five women do come over the top and win on a plurality vote. But the way that it was split, they just couldn't do that. So they could, I guess, be really transparent in how powerful they are. So it was it was that lack of timing because it, it ended up being that first vote in the merge where Khan has an idol, where some people are in the mix there that you can use that idol where there was a lot more capacity to flip. But I think they got cornered a lot more and they would have needed Sam, who has her own reasons for not flipping from her husband. She's super fair. She's already made that decision this week. And Juicy Dave, who, I don't know, seems to think he's with the guys and doesn't really have those relationships with them possibly. So really, really tricky one for the five women in that vote. You see, Shannon, we have this one limited commodity in Australian Survivor called time. And if you're waiting until after the immunity challenge and before tribal council to try and get a plan into motion, like Mel and Michelle did, well, I'm sorry, you've just waited too long. Mel and Michelle have been the backup vote a countless number of times now, and they should have seen the writing on the wall the moment they merged. They had time they had opportunity to go look for idols to go have a countless number of conversations and they just waited too late so hypothetically speaking if you say that sam is a boy on paper because of mark yes they couldn't have split the vote and had a 5-5 tie but if if you're waiting until two hours before tribal council to work your magic well of course you're not going to pull it off you'd have to be a really exceptional player to do it and do you think that sort of comes into a little bit of the inexperience or naivety about the game for some of these players. I mean, I know for some of them that's probably allowed them to get this far. We see Chrissy isn't that familiar with the game and she has just sort of floated through. But when it gets to this sort of pointy end, understanding the numbers intricately, understanding how to split votes, understanding how to put numbers where they need to be, actually becomes a really integral part of winning this game. Yeah, I think that that knowledge can be really helpful. George, for example, at the final five with that perfect split vote. If you haven't spent so much time thinking about the stuff over and over, is that something that kind of evades you? That might not be kind of a tool that you have in your arsenal. But I think beyond the knowledge, it's also just the intention to do it. I mean, Chrissy is such an amazing character, um, but it doesn't really translate as much to being an active game player. And she said multiple times this week that she's just kind of being told what to do. 
And there's something that maybe can be done there. Like when Khan goes home, they were crying about how close they were. She could possibly flip that. She's clearly not in the majority, in the, in the major numbers. She would really, really have to take some major initiative to pull that off. It would be a huge move. It would be like the biggest move of the game. Um, and some people might do it, but she's trying to play a more passive game. And maybe that does speak to like a little bit of a lack of experience with Survivor. Mm, yeah, I mean, from the outside, it does very much look like this boys' club is going to pick them off one by one. But Shannon, as you know, having watched 50, 60, 70 seasons of Survivor, it doesn't always work out the way it looks like it will. Yeah, I don't think that the boys' club are going to make it down to this final six. It very rarely happens that way. There's always kind of like, you know, an idol or something that gets in the way of that. And it's not just that, it's the fact that they are already all talking about turning on each other. I could see that if someone like Shay loses a challenge, she's like a pretty prime target, they could take her out. But then I kind of see the blocks all falling apart after that. So I would strongly doubt that this majority that are already talking about coming for each other do make it through to the very end stages together of the game. This week, Shannon, we're talking about challenges, in particular what we saw this week. There was an interesting challenge for reward, and it was a cash challenge. What did you make of that? And do we ever see that regularly on the world of Survivor, a challenge that doesn't relate directly to the game itself? Yeah, my jaw was on the floor. I can't believe that Khan got a $60,000 salary. As Jordy said, that was like three times what he and Jesse made last year. Like, that, that is probably the most enormous prize. I don't know how much cars cost because I'm not a car person. But that's the most enormous prize I've ever seen on the show. The external thing that we usually see on the show is the car challenge, which has been an Australian survivor, Survivor South Africa, US survivor for the first 14 or so seasons. And I think that I can kind of extrapolate what we call the car curse to this challenge. No one who has ever won the car in Australian Survivor or US Survivor has won that season. And maybe it is a curse, maybe it's an anomaly, but there are also things that are connected to that. The, the curse built up because people resented uh, that someone would, would win a car, win a prize that big. Obviously they are really threatening if they could win a challenge like that. So they've never actually won the game. And I honestly, when Khan did it, I was like, people are going to resent the fact that he just won 12% of the prize money for the entire show on one challenge and he even kind of made light of it at the tribal council so I could kind of extrapolate that car curse to Khan's like ridiculous amazing salary prize can I just say I wonder if Khan used some of that money to get that phenomenal looking jury outfit that he walked out in because god he looks spectacular and at least he can pay for it the idea that Khan comes out of the game just like splashing cash because he just won it the day before is it like just walking down the paths, just like paying people for whatever he wants. That's an amazing concept. <laughs> yeah, I certainly loved that. What about the other challenges this week? Uh, we saw Jesse do well. In a challenge you probably didn't need to win, what do you make of him sticking his head out there? Has he put a target on his back? Well, I think a lot of these athletic guys have tried to insulate themselves from that by aligning with other physical threats so that they can win challenges. A, like as a fan, I think you probably want to. It's a cool thing to do. You never know. Um, and I think that Jesse, in other ways, has tried to lower his threat level so that he can try in the challenges. Another thing is that you are protecting from someone else winning, someone on the bottom who might need to be an option for your alliance. So there are other reasons to win a challenge other than just that you might be in trouble. But yeah, of course, it always puts a target on your back. All right, speaking of challenges and winning, Shay obviously stuck her hand up again, doing extremely well. And 
Sam made that point that she's a challenged beast. How often on the show have we seen people who are in the firing line, have a target on their back, just avoid elimination by winning challenge after challenge after challenge? Yeah, James, you wanted to know about challenge records in a future world of Survivor. Well, that time is now because it is really, really hard to win out, if not impossible to win out from this early on in the merge. You definitely see some big threats win out, you know, that last couple of challenges, maybe from something like a final five. But I guess the biggest example that comes to mind is Mike Holloway won from the final nine in US Survivor with only one round that he didn't win that he had an idol for. So he was protected from that point until the final three. So that's the one that comes to mind for me. Shay saw the final 11 with a possible final two or final three. I think it'll be really, really tricky. Very, very impressive if done. But yeah, I think she will need some other pathways to the end. I think George mentioned earlier in the show that Shay is such a threat when it comes to challenges because she seems pretty good at puzzles. She's got good endurance. She's got good power to weight ratio. What sort of challenges do we see pop up as we move towards the final of the season of Survivor? Yeah, there's a lot of endurance in the second half of the season. We do move away, I think, from a lot of the wrestling that defines the first half of the season. But Shay will excel at the endurance. She's great at the puzzle. She's super, super strong as well. But there will be some kind of obstacle courses, I'm sure, as we get down the stretch. And Shay says that she's not as good at throwing. Maybe she's trying to downplay her threat level. But there might be some things that don't work as much to her skill set. But she's probably a good bet in any challenge. Hayley and George, as you go deep into this game and you know you might be getting close to that final immunity challenge, what's it like preparing psychologically for an event that you know will be as taxing as anything you've probably ever done? Yeah, as you move towards the very, very end, you assume that the final challenge will probably be endurance and so you are looking to try to either get rid of people who are good at endurance depends who you are and what your what your target is at the very end in ours it was a bit complicated because we wanted to make sure someone was there that could beat click who was we sure would win so yeah i think it's fair that you want to target in people who are good at endurance although it actually was quite threatening out there people who could throw well Danny in our season was amazing at throwing. So it didn't matter how agile you were or how quick you were at a puzzle because you'd get to the end and unless you could beat her throwing, she would come in and, and totally win. So I actually see that as quite a threatening thing. Yeah, look, Hayley's spot on. And sometimes it's as simple as knowing which battles you can win with the grand focus of winning the war as the final result. And like Hayley said, sometimes... Me in particular, you need somebody to take you to the end. I knew I wasn't going to beat Haley in a challenge, but I had a good relationship with Haley, and I thought there was a strong probability that she would pick me to go to a final tribal council. So I made a decision to let Kara go at a final four to vote with Haley, and we saw the final outcome. The king and queen got to the end. You always need to know and play to your strengths and try and mitigate your weaknesses. And with someone like Shay there, who's a phenomenal all-rounder, great power to weight, like you said, James, great at puzzles, great at endurance, maybe it's time to start making a deal with her. When you think about great challenge moments and you think about maybe underdogs, people who don't maybe from the outside look like they're going to do well or haven't got a particular skill set or aren't as strong as other people but have just managed to dig deep into that mental space, go into the pain cave. Have you got a favourite or a couple that spring to mind of people who have just been able to go up against all odds and come away with immunity? 
Yeah, I mean, there are so many. I think that way from your season really comes to mind. She was so far behind and then she had the puzzle, which she's so good at, um, that she could catch up on. And that's why it's so important to have like diversity in challenges so that we can speak to other people's skill sets. It looked like Mel was good at the uh, puzzles. She's been described as incredibly smart and a fan, but I don't think we really got to see that skill set play out because there haven't been as many puzzles in this season. So there are a lot of really good examples. I think about like Baden in the final immunity challenge and, and the the biggest one from Australian Survivor history is Christy in that final immunity challenge against Elle and Lee who were these like really strong athletes and just standing up there crying in pain is one of the most iconic moments in global Survivor history so you never know what underdog is going to take it out you never know if it speaks to their skill set or if they just find something within like the recesses of themselves to pull out a win so anyone's got a shot as long as they try basically. Yeah, that was an incredible moment. Uh, anyone who saw that, I reckon, would be a Survivor fan for life. Time now to hand over to George, who catches up with King Khan himself, who was blindsided at the end of episode 13. Khan, great to have you here in Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. What an epic episode last night, and what an even bigger blindside. Welcome. Oh, my God, that was so traumatic watching it again. Khan, let's get right into it. So the first question that I want to ask you is how familiar are you with the game of Australian Survivor? Uh, very, very, very familiar. Um, I've been a fan for a very long, very long time. I've wanted to play for a very long time and getting to do it with my sister is kind of epic. And I think I achieved pretty much everything I wanted. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. And what was your favourite moment from the entire season? Because you had so many. I actually think it's... The day that I gave my immunity necklace to Sam, because uh, we got pretty close at that point and I just wanted to make her feel safe. Um, I didn't think that I was on the chopping block, but she felt that she was. Um, so for me, that was the moment. It looked like you were close to a lot of the people across both tribes that you were on. Who were you closest to in the game and why? Uh, the people I was closest with were uh, Sam and Chrissy. Chrissy from day one, basically. We didn't see much of it, but Chrissy and I, we didn't talk about anything, but we just hung out. Like, we, we knew we had each other's backs. There was always just a look. We just didn't ever do, deal with anything else. But, yeah, Chrissy, Sam, and also Geordie. Geordie and I, we're still pretty close now. And, Khan, let's get to the key talking point from that episode. So you were blindsided with an idol in your pocket how does that feel and why didn't you play the idol? This idol. This stupid idol. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so we had a plan that we were going to get rid of Shay because my idol was going to be used in a couple of days' time to get rid of someone else and be a big move for the group. And I thought that was what was going to happen, but I didn't know that other things were happening behind the scenes in the background. But so the reason I didn't do it, everyone thought that it was just a full confidence thing. No, I didn't do it because there was another plan in place. It was get rid of Shay, then once we get to this point we can then use it when they're trying to get rid of me to get rid of a, a really big player. You've been on two seasons of MasterChef. Mm. Is there anything that compares from MasterChef to the game of Survivor? No, I think they're totally different. Obviously, they're both really great games to play, but MasterChef for me, it was a passion of mine. Cooking is what I love. It's what I enjoy doing the most. Survivor was a bucket list thing for me. I've always wanted to play it. It is super challenging, so hard. And then the lack of food and then the environment as well, that was just really tough. 
Well, you did bring a bit of your MasterChef flair to the uh, outback there when you made those tacos. I wish we had a chef like you on our tribe when I played Khan. <laughs> Speaking of the style of game you played, it was very social and it was very strategic. Is there a move that you're most proud of out there? I know that, like, a lot of people think that uh, the Sam thing was me being nice, but also it was a move for me because it was supposed to show Sam that she could totally trust me. I needed to prove that to her because we were quite new. Obviously, we've been talking, we've been hanging out, and we were getting closer, but I think that was the final thing where it was like, okay, I can trust Khan. He has my back. Out of the remaining players left in the game, who do you think is the biggest threat? The biggest threat is Sam and Mark. And I say Sam and Mark because everyone's seeing them as two separate people and they are playing as two separate people, but I see them as one person. I feel like they're playing a game. They've split themselves up to play different people, but it's actually just one person playing together. Interesting. And Khan, of course, let's not forget you will bestow the royal title this season. <laughs> which was fantastic to see. How exactly did King Khan get born out there in Outback Queensland? I have no idea. It was either Chrissy or Mark. I didn't even know they were calling me King Khan. I remember um, in Red 2.0, no, in Blue 2.0, when I was speaking to Sam about it, I was like, hey, I really want a nickname. Like, no one's calling me anything. Like, I'm going to be so boring. Not knowing the entire time they were calling me King Khan. I literally was like brainstorming names with her. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to be. <laughs> We saw that in the jury villa that you made an offer to give Amy $10,000. Mm. Is there anything that made you want to share part of your prize with Amy? Yeah, she's my best friend. Like, she's, she's literally my best friend. I, I made, I made, she came on to Survivor pretty much for me. She knew how much I loved it. She fell in love with it as well. She was, she's always watched it with me, but um, she's, she's scared the cameras usually. So, um, yeah, so when I, there, there was never, like, a second thought in my mind. Like, once I won that, I was like, I'm giving that to Amy. Like, Amy's definitely getting some of this. And Khan, one last question. It's a question that's on everybody's lips. Will we see King Khan back again to play Australian Survivor? Uh, it's not a no. It's not a no. It's a not right now. I don't think um, I don't think that mentally or physically I am ready for it. I think I need a couple of years to work on the restaurant. <laughs> we'll have to twist your arm then, Khan. What an absolute pleasure it's been to interview today. I, as a fan, loved watching you play. It's a shame that you went this early, but you know what? You should be really proud of your effort. And what a better way to go than with an idol in your pocket. Khan, thank you for today. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you for having me. Great stuff there, George. King Khan, he was a lot of fun to watch. I imagine you'd like to see him come back, George. Well, given that King Khan had so much style, so much grace, I would love to welcome him back with open arms. Yeah, he was great to watch. All right, we are back with Australian Survivor. 7.30pm on Sunday night, Blood versus Water continues. More action, excitement, blindside, strategy, challenges, rewards. As always, our next episode of Australian Survivor Talking Trial Podcast has heaps of exclusive content you won't hear anywhere else, so make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal and Network 10 Podcasts.